Welcome to Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia. This podcast is a collection of messages designed to help you grow in our three anchors of real devotional life, real community, and real responsibility. We hope that you enjoy this message and that it encourages you in your spiritual growth. All right. Well, hey, there is this book called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. It looks like this. And uh, it's a survival manual based on interviews with experts uh, in a variety of fields. And some of the chapters are like um, how to escape from quicksand. Anyone been in quicksand lately? All right. Oh, actually. Okay. Uh, how to wrestle an alligator. How to emergency land a plane. Like not be in a plane that's emergency landing, but like you yourself emergency landing the plane. I feel like that'd be helpful. Um, how to break down a door. How to survive a parachute mishap. You know, normal, everyday life, just to name a few. All right, so tonight I want to start with just a small quiz to test your survival skills from this book. It's multiple choice. And actually, I was, I was trying to buy some books to give away tonight, but I found maybe something even better. The worst case scenario, card game. All right? So I'm going to give two of these away. Two of these, actually, Josh is going to give two of these away to the people that get these. Here you go. All right, so number one. <clears throat> What should you do if you're confronted by an angry mountain lion like this one? A, run. (laughs) B, play dead. C, make yourself look bigger by opening your coat. D, sing a gentle, happy song. All right, all right. How many of you said D? You're dumb. You are dumb. What are you doing? You can't, you can't say D. You're dead on the spot, okay? They don't ever sing a gentle, happy song, all right? According to the experts, the answer is C. C, make yourself look big. All right, raise your hand if you got it. He's going to give it away. I don't know what to do if you're not wearing a coat, but you can figure that out. Oh, there we go. All right, look at him. Give it up for this guy that won the worst-case scenario. Okay. Let's try another one. I won't call you dumb this time, I'm sorry. How can you prevent being stung by a jellyfish? A, rub your skin with citrus fruits. B, wear pantyhose. C, continuously clap your hands together. D, sing a gentle happy song. Okay, (laughs) okay listen, if you pick D, let me just help you out. That's never what you should do in a worst case scenario situation. All right, that's never, ever the answer. You could just cross that one out. All right. The answer is wear pantyhose. And here's why. Jellyfish, in fact, cannot penetrate nylons. So just like when you go swimming next time, put on the pantyhose and you're all good. Raise your hand if you got that one. He's going to give you a prize. Go ahead, Josh. Who gets it? Way in the back. All right. Here's the last one. (laughs) Maybe helpful for this hotel. How do you survive in a plummeting elevator? I feel like this is helpful. Uh, Flatten your body against the floor of the elevator and cover your head. Jump right as the elevator is about to hit the bottom. Pry open the doors to allow for wind resistance. 
cut the wire in the control panel. Was there another answer over here? All right. The answer is A, A, A. I'm not sure I believe that one. I think I'd jump before I hit the bottom. All right, if you said A, turn to the person next to you and say, give me a high five. You get a high five for saying A. All right, good. Okay, all right. Now I got y'all riled up. Now here's the point, here's the point, you ready? Here's the point. The point behind this survival book is solid because you never really know uh, what curves life will throw at you. You never really know, I guess, when you might face a life or death decision and you'll need to know what to do. And let me tell you something tonight. This is also true about your spiritual life. And here's why. Because full devotion, the kind of devotion we talked about last night, full devotion to Jesus can lead you to dangerous places. And when you obey God fully, when you go from casual to committed, it sometimes leads to circumstances that don't always feel safe. Listen, there is something very real about following Jesus that requires dangerous obedience. Now, I'm talking about sometimes in a physical place, of course, but I'm also talking about emotional risks, relational risks, financial risks, risks that will affect your lifestyle, risks that will affect your future. You may know the story of the three men in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Where did they end up? A fiery furnace, okay? Daniel got himself in a lion's den. Paul was shipwrecked and beaten up and stoned. Here's the thing. Following Jesus will sometimes put us in positions where we have to make dangerous uh, decisions for, for the Lord. Now, speaking of danger, I want to tell you something that I'm convinced is maybe the most dangerous thing. And probably the thing, absolutely the thing, that you will have to make a decision to not be right now wherever you are. The greatest danger is not persecution. It is becoming too comfortable and apathetic. That's the greatest danger to our relationship with God. And for most people, a primary unspoken goal of life is to avoid pain, avoid hard things, avoid dangerous obedience. We stay away from anything that might involve the slightest bit of discomfort. You might not even realize it, but you primarily spend time praying, God, deliver me from this pain, from this discomfort, from this suffering. Deliver the people around me from uh, these things that are happening to them that are hurtful. Help my life not be too inconvenient. Make my life smooth and make it easy and make my life comfortable and make it pleasant. And God, please, please, please just remove all the obstacles from it. That's often how we spend time praying for God to bless us, for God to work in our life. Um, have you seen this TikTok? <laughs> right? Come on. Someone, someone over here wrote, I, I created that. All right. Listen, this is funny, but this is not wrong. 
This is who we are so often. God, I want a life of adventure, and I want a life uh, where I'm serving you, and I want exciting things to happen, but please just let nothing bad happen in the middle of it. I don't want to live without anything. I want to be able to have everything I want, plus all the blessings and comfort and joy and peace, and I want to be able to say every day of my life, well, I've got the joy of the Lord. Here I am. This is great. My life's falling apart. We want to have these moments. And so today I want to look at this moment in scripture where Jesus has an interaction with three different people and each person has a different excuse or concern regarding why he cannot follow Jesus with dangerous obedience. Okay, and, and I think we can learn a lot from these really short conversations. They all happen in about 10 or so verses here. Uh, but I want you to listen closely because I think you can apply this word to your life. I think you can learn a lot about your own excuses, about our own things that we, we give excuses to the Lord for about this conversation. And, and here's what we're going to look at when we see this passage tonight, that Jesus is looking for consuming allegiance. Jesus is looking for consuming allegiance. Following him is not just a task that can be added to a list of other tasks. I asked my friend TJ to come up here. He's going to help us read some scripture tonight. I so appreciate it. Give TJ a hand. Thank you. And my prayer tonight as we study this word is that you would let your devotion to Christ lead you to make some really courageous and maybe even dangerous choices. Uh, so will you read for us, TJ, um, in Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. All right, let's talk about the first guy, the first conversation that Jesus has. With all the miracles associated with Jesus, it probably seemed kind of glamorous to be part of his crew, like to join kind of his bandwagon. He's saying, listen, I heard about you, Jesus. I want to be part of the action. I'm going to travel with you. I'll come to both your home and away games, right? I'll be the water boy. I'll walk around with you. I'll follow you wherever. And Jesus replies, well, I'm homeless, so what about there? You want to come with me there? Will you follow me there? And he points to this place that is a threat to this man's comfort and this man's security. And Jesus reminds the man of the cost. He says, listen, if you're going to follow me right now, I'm wandering in the Middle East, going from village to village to preach the good news, and I don't even have a, a home. I don't know where I'm going to lay my head at night. But hey, if you still want to come, let's go. He doesn't reject uh, this man's um, question. He doesn't not want him to come, but he's saying, look, let me explain to you what it's going to take for you to follow me wherever. 
And we don't know what happens, but we're left with this impression that this man kind of quickly changes his mind. Uh, did I say wherever? That's just a figure of speech. <laughs> I didn't mean anywhere. I mean, there are some exceptions to that, to that uh, you know, phrase. You know, it's easy to declare you will follow Jesus wherever when you're making a general statement. In fact, I think it's even easy to sing uh, a song maybe that says like, I'll follow you everywhere. I'll follow you wherever you go and, and we can worship and kind of have this emotional moment. But it's harder when it gets specific, isn't it? It's harder when uh, the actual opportunity is presented to us. So tonight, let's do the hard thing. Let's get specific for a minute. Where is the place in your life that is most difficult to follow Jesus? Maybe it's with your family. They're hard to love. Uh, it's hard to be gracious and not critical. Maybe you have some really deep wounds between you and a family member. This morning when we were worshiping, uh, one of the, the prayer points was uh, if you had a relational um, kind of conflict to raise your hand, I was amazed at how many of you said, yeah, that's me. And so maybe uh, in your family, you're offended. Maybe it's hard to forgive. Maybe they have done some really, really hurtful things to you. Maybe even rejected you at times. And it is very difficult for you to follow Jesus into interacting with your family. Maybe it's uh, most difficult at your workplace. Demanding irrational customers just bring the worst out in you. Are you, are you actively sharing your faith where you work? Or are you just punching the clock? Are you keeping your mouth totally shut and never telling them about Chi Alpha or the love of the Lord? Because this is work. I mean, this is where I go to work. What about on campus? Do all your friends know about your faith or just some select groups? Are, are you respectful to authority when everyone else is sticking it to the man? Are you the one joining in in the conversations that are potentially critical or negative about authority or about um, teachers or about people in your university who are making decisions? Or are you on campus following Jesus there? What about at that game on the field? What about in the dorm? What about when you get together with old friends? What about when you're alone with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? What about when it's just you and that blue light staring at your phone all alone? Is it hard to follow Jesus there? Because in this moment, Jesus is saying the commitment he's asking from us in Luke 9 is to follow Jesus all of those places and more. The commitment is to declare, Jesus, I will follow you wherever. And that might be Haiti or Cambodia or Sri Lanka, or he may point you across the street, or he may ask you to do it right where your two feet are. But will you follow Jesus wherever? That's the commitment he requires for us to follow him. All right, let's see the second conversation. Uh, TJ, would you just read it for us just one more time, 57 through 60? Yeah. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So in this case, unlike the first example, Jesus actually approaches this man and invites him. Okay, in the first example, the man says, I want to go with you. In this example, Jesus approaches him and makes the invitation. And the man says, yes, yes, I'll be committed to you. But like now is not the best time. <laughs> like maybe not right now. And I think at first glance, 
uh, this may seem like Jesus is being like a little unreasonable, okay? Fathers are important. Loving your family is important. Jesus certainly would want this man to be able to grieve the loss of his own father. Why, why is he taking such a, a line in the sand about it? Well, here's something interesting. The man didn't ask for permission to go and dig the grave because his father was already dead. He was asking to remain in his father's house until he died and then bury him. Listen, this was an indefinite period of time. The man's father could have been in good health and about to live another 25 years. I mean, we don't know. But this response was another way of saying, look, I want to follow Jesus. I do, I do, but not yet. Like, not just yet. I want to be committed to Jesus, but I will have more time when I graduate. I want to go deeper with my faith, but this semester I have two classes with labs. I know I need to get closer to God, but I'm hurt. I'm offended. I'm brokenhearted. I'm going to wait until I get married. I'm going to wait until my college debt is paid off. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. I can't focus on it. I want to do it, but not now. Maybe later. Let me ask you this question. How long have you been saying that? I'm sorry. Not, no, I'm not. <laughs> I want to be really committed to Jesus, but first let me blank. How long have you been saying that? Because the most dangerous part of committing to Jesus someday, and this is what Jesus knew. See, this is why Jesus said to that man, no, you can't go and wait to bury your father because Jesus knew that the most dangerous part of committing to Jesus someday is not all the adventure and purpose you'll miss out on while you're waiting. That's, that's pretty bad, but that's not the worst thing. The worst thing is that someday might never come. That the longer you put him off, the more likely it is that following him, actually following him, will never happen. When I was in college, uh, one of my roommates had a terrible time waking up to her alarm, okay? She would let her alarm go off for nine minutes starting at 5 a.m. for two hours. Every day. The entire house would wake up to her alarm clock but her, okay? It was infuriating. How many of you are snooze people like my roommate? You, how many of you, uh, let's just take a survey. You hit snooze once. You, go on. you hit snooze twice. How many two... Oh, man. <laughs> three or more. Three. Are you a three or more person? I am. Oh, I brought one up on stage with me. Okay, three or more. All right, all right you can put them down. I'm glad you're so uh, open about your snooze habits. Are you only one? <laughs> I, I don't even snooze. I can't afford to snooze. But, all right, Mr. Watch this for a minute. I found this. Mr. Bean, he has a good strategy. If you don't know how to wake up.
Jesus says this, listen, let the dead bury their own dead. He said that because the time is now, not someday. Nothing else gets priority, even other really important things. Listen, here's a spiritual word for you tonight. Quit hitting the snooze button. Stop hitting the snooze button. Don't tell yourself, someday I'm going to surrender that secret sin. Someday I'm going to start being generous. Someday I'll go on a missions trip. Someday I'm going to give my whole life to Jesus. Someday I'm going to join leadership. Someday I'm going to understand the Bible. Someday I'm going to connect into a local church. Someday, sometime, when it's convenient. Luke 9 beckons commitments that replace excuses. I will follow Jesus wherever, and I will follow Jesus whenever. Whenever. Whenever you want me to. Right now. Okay, let's read the third conversation again. TJ, would you read to us 61 and 62? Still, another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So again, this almost feels to me like an unreasonable request or a reasonable request for the guy, shouldn't the guy be able to say goodbye to his mommy? Like, like, come on. Like, shouldn't that be allowed? You know, culturally, most likely, uh, this was more than like a quick hug at the airport. In that time, if you wanted to actually leave an area, the practice of saying goodbye to your family uh, meant numerous farewell parties that could last a period of weeks. But still, I I still uh, struggle a little bit with this. Maybe I'm being a mom, right? Like, I want to be able to say goodbye to my kids. Why was this something that Jesus was saying to this person? And I think what Jesus is really trying to communicate here, the reason that Jesus is so intent on his followers' willingness to surrender everything is because he knows about that one thing. He knows the one thing that we are most reluctant to give up. And that is the one thing that has the most potential to become a substitute for him. The thing that makes us think twice about being dangerously obedient is the very thing that stops us from living a life surrendered. For Nicodemus, the guy we talked about last night, it was his reputation. He didn't want to give that up. He had to think about that. In the scripture, there's a rich young ruler uh, found in another part of the scripture. It was his stuff. He didn't want to give up his stuff. He stored it in barns, and, and he didn't want to give up any of his things. For this man, it looks like it was his family relationships. Let me tell you tonight that Jesus knows what you're holding on to. He knows what is hard for you to give up. Jesus knows everyone's idol, the thing that replaces him and the thing that threatens intimacy with him. And Jesus knows perfectly what is competing in your heart with affection for him. And he sees right to your heart. And the thing that he does so skillfully and so knowledgeably and honestly, quite frankly, so annoyingly is he comes into your life and he says, yeah, yeah, okay, good, but what about that? What about that sacrifice? Would you give that up for me? Will you really give me whatever I ask for? 
Because all this stuff you've given me has been great, but what about that, that thing that you're holding behind your back, that thing that you've put under tightest lock and key, the thing that you say, anything else, God, but that. Anything else, God, but don't send me to Africa. Anything else, God, but don't ask me to be single forever. Anything else, God, but don't give me a situation that is too hard. Don't ask me to raise support. Don't ask me to to go out on a limb. Don't ask me to live uh, with less. I want to make money. I want to be comfortable. I want to set my life for success. Don't ask me to not be able to have kids. Don't ask me for those anything else, God, but that. And Jesus uses a word picture here to this man, and he says, look, you can't be a good plowman if you're looking backwards. In those days, uh, when a farmer would plow a field, the way that he kept the rows straight is he would focus on an object uh, in the distance, maybe a tree or something like that, and he would just plow straight to the tree, and he would never look behind him, because if he looked behind him, his rows would be all, uh, you know, jig-jagged and all that stuff. Uh, He would do a bad job at it, so he had to look forward. And I was thinking another thing farmers have to do in order to have successfully plowed fields is they have to hold on. They can't let go. They can't quit in the middle. They can't take a snack break. They can't give half effort or half strength. And sometimes when you're following Jesus, all you know how to do, all you can do, is hold on and move forward. Just quietly grip your plow and look out into the promises of God and keep working, keep plowing, keep moving forward. What do you do if you don't know what to do? Keep plowing. Put your hand to that plow and you never look back and you look at the promises of God and you just keep moving forward. The church that I serve, I went through a bit of a revitalization in the time I've been the pastor. And people will ask me, um, how did things turn around? Like, what did you and your team do? What leadership books did you read? What strategies did you use? Uh, what, what was the silver bullet? Like, how did the church go from dead to alive again? And the answer isn't always what they're looking for me to say. But the answer is this. We just showed up every day. And we gripped the plow, a strong grip on an anchored plow, and we just kept plowing, and we just kept working, and we didn't look back, and we just held on tight, and we kept moving forward. And I think some of you in this room tonight are in this spin of you don't even know what to do next, and the Holy Spirit of God is telling you, just put your hand to that plow and run straight to the promises of God, and you let him work out what's going on behind you. You let him make those rows straight. You let him make those paths straight, and you put your hand to the plow, and you don't doubt what you know God has told you, and you keep moving forward. More than anyone else, Jesus modeled this in Luke 9, 51, when Jesus saw the path God had marked for him. Despite all the suffering, despite all the dangerous places it would take him, Jesus steadfastly and resolutely set out to go to the cross. 
In Isaiah 50, verse 7, it prophesies that the Savior would set his face like flint. That's what this is happening. This assignment, this is happening again as he's teaching them how do you walk your purpose? How do you become a follower of Christ? How do you give your life to God? Well, you set your face like flint. You hang on to the plow and you grip it as hard as you can and you just move forward. That's what the Holy Spirit says. The assignment was hard, but Jesus would do whatever it takes with resolute determination to accomplish God's perfect plans. Jesus himself was willing to give it all up, anything God asked of him. And so this last segment of Luke 9, it calls us to a commitment to follow Jesus with whatever, with whatever it takes. Jesus, I will follow you wherever, whenever, and whatever. Jesus, I will follow you wherever, whenever, and whatever. That is the commitment of Luke 9. That's consuming allegiance. Jesus is looking for consuming allegiance. Will he find it in you? The worship team's gonna come back. And I asked the Lord, what keeps a believer in Jesus from declaring these commitments? What keeps us from following wherever, whenever, whatever? What binds a person up? What stops someone from fully surrendering? And then I said to the Lord, uh, uh, specific, what are the things in the room tonight that are keeping all of us from following Jesus wherever, whenever, and whatever? What are the things in this room? And God began to impress on me reason after reason. He said, fear, unbelief, Bad habits, damaged self-images, rebellious attitudes, addictions, strongholds, suicidal thoughts, pride, offense, heartbreak, confusion. And there came this image in my mind where every reason, every excuse was like a strip of linen wrapping around our mind, our spirit, and our life. And it reminded me of how they used to wrap those who had died in grave clothes. Okay, they'd wrap them up. A.W. Tozer, a well-known theologian, said this, the devil makes it his business to keep Christians in bondage, bound and gagged, actually imprisoned in their own grave clothes. And so what do we do about it? Well, hundreds of years before Jesus would walk the earth, there was this passage written in scripture in Zechariah 3. And in this passage, Joshua, a high priest, was standing before the Lord. I want to show it to you. Uh, it says, now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. And then he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin and I will put fine garments on you. And then I said, put a clean turban on his head. And so they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. In order to live out the radical way that Jesus is calling each of us to live, you're gonna have to trade some clothes. You're gonna have to trade sin for obedience. You have to do it. 
There is, there is uh, forgiveness. There is victory. There, we, we sang a song about the blood of Jesus. Listen, your filthy clothes can be made clean by the blood of Jesus. Absolutely. But you've got to stop sinning. Repent of that to get there. Okay? In order for the blood of Jesus to work, you have to stop sinning and repent. And then the blood of Jesus comes in and washes you clean. And so you're going to have to trade sin for obedience. You're going to have to trade the mistakes you have made for the grace that he offers. Some of you are beating yourself up, shame and guilt all the time. And you're going to have to trade that for the grace that Jesus offers. You're going to have to trade your unbelief for big faith. You're going to have to trade your defeat for his victory. You're going to have to trade condemnation and accusations for his truth. And you're going to have to trade fear for confidence in Christ. And the Lord said to me as I was preparing this message, you will have to trade grave clothes for resurrection ones. You're going to have to take off what's dead. You're going to have to take off those things. You're going to have to take off the grave clothes and put on the resurrection ones because the work has already been done. But if we don't live in that, we can't follow Jesus wherever, whenever, and whatever. You have to make the trade in order to live out the promises of God. So here's what we're going to do. I want to do something in a natural way to represent a supernatural decision. And so I clipped a black clothespin to the back of the chair. You might have already seen it. If you see it, grab it. You see that? Get that out. Actually, the Baron Chi Alpha team clipped those on the back of the chair. So give them some love. And I brought... I brought these white ones. That's what this is right here. All right, hang with me, hang with me. I brought these white clothespins here. And these represent the victory that we have in life with Jesus. These represent hope and peace and future. These clothespins represent wherever and whenever and whatever. These represent resurrection clothes, okay? I had someone read my sermon before I came. He said, those clothespins represent a lot of things. I said, yeah, they do, all right? A lot. These represent resurrection clothes. This represents your commitment to Jesus. I will follow you wherever. I will follow you when you tell me to. I will not delay in obedience. I will go where you tell me, when you tell me, even if I don't have it all figured out. Do you know that you don't have to know the plan to trust there is a plan, okay? You don't have to know it. There's a plan. And you don't have to know it to trust that God is gonna do it in you. And you're gonna follow Jesus with whatever. And that's gonna take some dangerous obedience. That's gonna take some courageous decisions. And so here's what we're gonna do tonight. Uh, the worship team's gonna lead us. And if you would say, you know what? I want to be there. Maybe I'm not there yet, but I want to follow Jesus. I want to put my whole heart in being committed to Jesus to go wherever, whenever, whatever. I want you to take a minute and think about what that black clothespin represents to you. Filthy clothes, excuses, obstacles. 
things that keep you from dangerous obedience to Jesus. And then when you're ready, but I want you to think about it for a minute. Because I don't want this to just be like I did the thing. I want you to come up and trade your black clothespin for a white one. Just leave it right here at the altar, at the foot of the cross. And I want you to take a white one and then put that white one somewhere in your Bible, in your car, or wherever you are going to be. And listen, this is the beautiful part. No one's going to even know what that's about when you get home, but you. You put it in a place that might be hard for you to follow Jesus. You might want to put it right on your windowsill. And then when you're having that complaint session with your roommate, and there it sits. And the Lord reminds you, hey, listen, you, you have to follow Jesus everywhere. You have to do these things that I'm asking you to do. A place that reminds you, I will follow Jesus wherever, whenever, and whatever. I will trade my grave clothes in. I will live a dangerously obedient life to honor the one who is worthy of it all. And as we sing this song, would you come? Would you come thoughtfully? Would you come purposely? Would you come not all at once? Because this will not work. But will you come and will you trade your clothes from grave to resurrection and give Jesus the very best commitment you can and leave all your excuses right here? I'm going to pray and then we'll go into that song. Father, I thank you. I thank you, God, that you don't just call us to these commitments without being worthy of them. God, I thank you that you are the best, that you are sovereign, that you're good, that you're holy. God, I thank you that there's no one like you. I thank you that you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that you are above all things. And I thank you that you are deserving of every breath we take, every word we say, every day that we live. So God, would you put us on a trajectory that we don't give you any more excuses, but we just give you commitments. God, we'll go where you send us, when you send us, no matter what it takes. God, help us trade all the things in that keep us from living the most abundant, full life that you desire for us. God, we're trusting you. Tonight, we're trusting you with our head and we're trusting you with our heart. And we are making a natural step to a supernatural decision. And it's in your strong name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Chi Alpha at the University of Virginia podcast. For more information, you can visit our website, xaatuva.com.